I'll just go ahead and start this one off. I'll flex while we do it. Okay, sounds great. Broadband internet service providers in real simple syndication are proud to bring you Carlin and Jordan's most excellent movie night. So thank you very much for listening to this episode of Carlin and Jordan's most excellent movie night. That over there is Carlin. And that over there is Jordan. And today we are going to be discussing another fan selection. We've been doing a lot of those recently, but I think it's proven to be pretty good. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is the best way for us to step outside of our own comfort zone because we're, I mean, when we're making picks, we're probably going to go with films that we've already seen or films that are in our genre that we want to see. Except for things like High School Musical. <clears throat> Sorry. Yeah, well, <laughs> we won't even talk about that one. Which, although, I listened to that episode, and I think it is a really good episode. It's just, you know, we get we get to tear it up. So, yeah. if anyone didn't listen to that because they're like, yuck, High School Musical, actually listen to the podcast episode because you don't even actually have to see the film to I think, enjoy I, it. I think we laid it out pretty good. But yeah. let's go ahead and talk about, this is, this is a fan selection. And uh, it, it, I think this would fall into the uh, cult classic movie uh, yeah, scenario here. Definitely. And this one that we're going to discuss today is Adventures in Babysitting. A 80, uh, 1987 film yeah. and um, a cult classic amongst people raised in the 80s, yeah. including my wife Rebecca, who was very excited when we chose this from our list of fan picks. And she was like, oh my god, Avengers and Babysitting. I grew up on that film. I watched it all the time with my sisters. And now, just to point out, Rebecca wasn't the one who actually suggested this. No. It was actually our friend Jeff Grove. Yeah, so Jeff Grove, thank you. And Rebecca thanks you too, because she and I sat down together and watched this film, and she was ecstatic. She loved it. Yeah, well, and I mean, she was mad at me because I didn't give it five stars <laughs> in the end. <laughs> well, you know, it's great when you sit down and you watch a movie that you love, um, and you get to relive those memories again. Um, and one movie that I, I did this with recently um, was The Princess Bride. You know, and oh, you love it. you sit down and you you get to talk about all of the different lines in the movies, and you get to say them, and you're like, oh, there's this great thing coming up. Wait, just wait, and and so. There's a certain je ne sais quoi about going into a movie that you've seen before and that you love and uh, just enjoying the environment and the nostalgia of seeing it over again. And it's, it's one of those things that, that, uh, that I always love to do with movies that I enjoy. I don't go back and rewatch a lot of movies, though, because there's just not enough time. Yeah, there are so many movies that I want to see that I'm like... It's kind of tough to go back. So you just want to go back to stuff that's totally amazing, like The Cabin in the Woods, which right. we reviewed that as well. People check that out. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go ahead and uh, discuss the Netflix summary for Adventures in Babysitting. Yeah. Uh, when teenaged Chris Parker agrees to babysit for the Andersons after her boyfriend stands her up, it's hardly the boring night she expected. That damn Mike Toddwell. Oh my gosh, how could he do that? Like, totally. I mean, He's totally a jerk. Absolutely. And anybody could see it. I mean, Daryl could see it. Um, but but people but, like Daryl and, uh, what was the other, Brad. Brad. They're looking for it. Yeah, of course because, they're looking for it, because Daryl got beat up. Well, they're, they're looking for it not just because they're, you know, 
other males, but because right. they're interested in Chris. Yeah, well, like Chris she's is, older and hot. Chris and, is seventeen and hot. Yeah, exactly. And they're you know pubescent boys. Exactly. I mean, who wouldn't be interested? So um, this movie, which ironically enough, um, this movie was was like you said a nineteen eighty seven movie was directed by Chris Columbus, and I just thought it was funny that someone named Chris directed a movie that starred a main character named Chris. Who's a female. Who is of a, yeah, of the opposite gender. Now, Chris Columbus, we mentioned this movie before we started filming, but he actually was um, the director of The Goonies. Right. Actually, did he, I don't think he directed The Goonies. He did write well, it. Well, he was, he was, he's known for the, for The Goonies. Yeah. He actually wrote the first uh, two Gremlins movies, mm-hmm. as well as The Goonies. And he directed Percy Jackson, the first Percy Jackson film, the film Rent, Mm -hmm. the first two Harry Potter films, the first two Home Alone films, and Mrs. Doubtfire. So this guy, this guy has like an amazing film pedigree. He's a heavy hitter in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. And well, it actually looks like Adventures in Babysitting was his very first movie that he directed. Nice. So he started off strong. Uh... I think we would both agree that this is a pretty good movie. Yeah. He uh, some other movies that he did was Stepmom, Bicentennial Man, um, I Love You, Beth Cooper. So I mean, he's had some slower movies, some upbeat movies, some comedy, some drama, some science fiction. But the amount that that have been winners, yeah, that he's done. I mean, this guy's kind of a gold mine. Yeah, yeah. So he's. He's um, definitely somebody to keep your eyes on, especially if you enjoy Harry Potter, if you enjoy Percy Jackson, if you enjoy Rent. You know, yeah. and, and Rent is one of those, those um, musicals that's almost become uh, a touchstone of modern, uh, at least our generation. I can agree um, with that. For post-college like, um, musicals mm-hmm. and entertainment. I know a lot of my friends and uh, I, my sisters enjoy that movie a lot. I actually haven't had a chance to see it, so it's definitely on my list to see at some point. Um, I want to say the writer David Simpkins. He did. He's done writing on a bunch of like TV shows right, mainly. Right. Um, he did some episodes for Grimm, uh, Charmed, Lois and Clark, and Briscoe County Junior with Bruce Campbell. Love Bruce Campbell. Yeah, yeah, good old Bruce Campbell. Yeah. So. Um, which hopefully we can do like Army of Darkness at some point. I don't even know if it's on Netflix. But... Uh, I think it might be. I think Army of da- Darkness Two might be on there as well. Oh, Evil Dead Two. Yeah, Evil Dead Two. Yeah. I wish there was an Army of Darkness Two. Actually, I think I heard that they were gonna. Try I heard to do that one. they're going to try and do at least a remake. Mm. Not interested in a remake, really. But yeah, I mean, it maybe could be a interesting. sequel. I, you you never know what they're actually going to bring about. So yeah. that's one thing that to keep in mind. Let's go ahead and talk about the um, the actors and actresses that were mm-hmm. in this film, because um, there were a lot of really good names. A lot of big names from the eighties were actually in this movie. Now, this movie was the first movie that Elizabeth Shue starred in. She was the the girl who played Chris, and she's known for so many different eighties movies that it's not even funny. Because she was, uh, she was in both Back to the Future two and three, mm. because she replaced Marty McFly's love interest after the original actress uh, decided not to return. Uh, she's also um, done. Uh, I, what was it? Um, I know her best for her role um, with Val Kilmer next to Val Kilmer in The Saint. Yeah, which. 
if I watched it now, probably isn't like the most amazing film. But when I originally watched it when I was much younger, I loved that film. And well, it was and, so good. And that one was considered to be something of a um, of a breakaway role for her because she played a lot of the girl next door type of characters. Yes. And then and then that movie in particular was was pretty dark, all things considered. More recently, something that I knew she was in that I had seen in the theater was Piranha 3D, which is the remake of the original Roger Corman Piranha film. Um, she was like a sheriff in that. She was in her 40s, I think, when she was doing that one. Um, she still looks good. I think she looks about... You know, obviously she looks like she's in her 40s, but she looks good for in her 40s. Now, she's doing a lot of TV work these days as well. Like, uh, um, I think she's working on CSI. Okay. Yeah, uh, so that's that's taking up most of her time right now. She's that's a good place to be. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's a good show. So, um, so that's that's what she's been doing most recently. She's also been on Curb Your Enthusiasm and some other shows as well. Oh, Curb Your Enthusiasm is a good one. Yeah. Um, now, she obviously had some kids that she was babysitting in this movie, um, and. Maybe a few. Maybe a few. <laughs> Maybe one or two that tagged If she along. wasn't babysitting any kids, then this <laughs> film, it film would all be a like, sham. It's like, what exactly were you doing in a movie This would film? be like Chris Christopherson named the film. Right, Just like exactly. in Deadfall. <laughs> if you haven't listened to the Deadfall review, go back and listen to that because it's a reference to... Right, exactly. Yeah, so um, one of the characters... And this one, this, this was interesting to me, um, was a little girl named Sarah. And Sarah was played by Maya Bruton. Um, the thing is that Netflix actually got her name wrong. Um, mm. It's she. They put her name down as Maria Bruton. For shame, Netflix. Yes. For shame. Yes. Who is who is fact checking your information? It might have been me, considering the goofy <laughs> I just had. But like Maya Bruton is most well known for like um, her work as a, a as a child actress. She actually got out of acting, um, and is now a lawyer. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, some films that she did and some TV shows that she did. Uh, she was in uh, Highway to Heaven, uh, and she also did, like, 21, 21 Jump Street, uh, which I think is pretty famous. Wonder Years, uh, stuff like that. Oh, so, cool. Pretty good pedigree when she yeah. was young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she was also in uh, Back to the Future. So oh, yeah. So two different ties to Back to the Future with this. And then um, we also had uh, Brad, who was played by Keith Coogan. And uh, he ha he hasn't done a whole lot that he's really well known for these days. I mean, he's still acting. Like uh, one of his more recent movies was something called Cats Dancing on Jupiter. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Is yeah. that just like a YouTube short? I don't... It sounds don't like it. <laughs> it. It sounds like it could be interesting. But, I mean, like, he did a lot more um, things that he was known for, like, in the 80s. Like, he, in 1981, he did the... Um, he was the voice of a character named uh, Todd in The Fox and the Hound. Oh, okay. Um, and he um, he was also on TV shows like uh, Lawrence and Sh uh, Shirley and Mork and Mindy. And he was Laverne also... and Shirley. Uh, yeah, Laverne and Shirley. I was gonna say, is Lawrence and Shirley like a spinoff? <laughs> no, it, it, it could have been, or it could be that I just can't read. Uh, he was also on Knight Rider and Fame, so I mean, he did some some pretty cool stuff back then. Knight Rider, he got to work with the Hoff. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He touched Hasselhoff fame. Yeah, and he was in <laughs> Under the Boardwalk and uh, 
21 Jump Street again. So, yeah, okay. you know, so there's some interesting stuff. He was also in uh, Toy Soldiers. Okay. And then what about the um, the guy who played Daryl? Anthony Rapp. I, rec- I recognized him from something. Maybe A Beautiful Mind? No, I actually haven't seen A Beautiful Mind. Oh, you haven't seen A Beautiful Mind. There are a lot of films I should have seen that I have not seen. This is why we need <laughs> the listeners to send things in and make me watch them. Well, have you ever seen the TV show Psych? Because he was on Yes, that. I have seen Psych. I haven't seen a ton of it. He's I've a seen a show. few episodes. I know it's not running anymore. It just recently ended, but it was a good show. He was also in Road Trip. That's where I recognize it from. That's a funny, good movie, and he does a really good job as kind of like the um, the villain in Road Trip. He was also in Twister. Never saw it. Oh, you haven't seen Twister? Yeah, no, see, there's so many movies you can name that you would assume I've seen that I definitely have not. Well, you know, that's so. that's how it works out, right? Yes, it and, is. And honestly, in a lot of ways... Um, Daryl's character kind of steals the movie. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he totally does. In my opinion, Daryl's my favorite character in the film. Yeah. Hands he, down. He just, he kind it's of, awesome. he's kind of just, um, sneaks in there and, and what, what I love about Daryl is that he's this character who is not even supposed to be there. Brad is supposed to go to Daryl's house and, and spend the night there and, and, um, Chris is only supposed to be watching Sarah, but when... Brad finds out that Chris, Chris is going to be out. there. He gets all excited and decides, I'm not, I'm not going to Daryl's house. I'm going to stay here with Chris. But then Daryl's like, hey, I still want to hang out. So he's around. And then he finds out that Chris is there. And he's like, ah, did you know that Chris looks exactly like the Playboy, Playboy Centerfold? <laughs> yeah. Real quick, I did want to say uh, talk about some kind of behind-the-scenes stuff with the film. Okay. Uh, even though it's supposed to be set in Chicago, it in fact was mainly filmed in Toronto. And that's not uncommon. Toronto is is kind of known as um, the town that people go to to film if they want a big American city, but they don't have the big American city budget. Chris Columbus had a little bit of a problem with um, Bradley Whitford, who was the guy who played Mike Toddwell, the um, bad boyfriend of Chris's in the film. Yeah. Um, he, when he played this role, he was actually 27. Yeah. And was not comfortable with the role because of his age difference. I, I, and I can understand that. Yeah. And so Chris Columbus was like, no, we want you for it, basically. And he was able to win him over by telling him he could use his own car in the film. So the fi- the car that you see him driving in that is his own actual car, with Bradley the, Whitford. With, with the license plate so cool. I don't know if the license plate's the same. It was. It was the it, same one? It was his, okay. it was his actual license plate. <laughs> oh, very nice, very nice. Yeah, so... Uh, a little extra info about this film. It was the very first PG-13 rated film that was released by Disney. Yeah, Touchstone released the movie and is owned uh, by Disney. And so um, this kind of puts this movie at a landmark stage. Of course, the PG-13 rating is was compared to the rest of the ratings fairly new mm-hmm. because anything that they thought parent, parents should go see movies with their kids um, was was just rated PG until I believe Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which was doomish and frightening for a lot of kids. Yeah. Um, so then they they're like, well, we need this other level as well. So the PG thirteen rating only came about in the in the mid eighties. Yep. 
Um, a lot of people probably did not know this, but the film was actually adapted to a TV pilot for CBS in 1989, but it was not picked up. Yeah. So somewhere floating around, there's a Adventures in Babysitting TV pilot. Which would be interesting to see, because um, my question is, how would you keep it going? You know, More for, babysitting? I, I guess, I mean... <laughs> But, I mean, there are, there's only so many times that these parents are going to be that oblivious. I don't know. When it, when it comes to film, they can stretch things quite a I, bit. I guess they can. I'm just saying. Uh, and then the last little bit of uh, info I wanted to put out there for this film is they actually tried to do a remake in 2012, but ended up losing a lot of steam because there were a lot of different actresses who were supposed to be tied to the main role, yeah. and they dropped out. So um, the big one was Raven Simone. Um, oh, That's So Raven? Yeah, from That's So Raven. She was supposed to be tied to it, and then she dropped out and said she really didn't want to do it, and then I think they had like one other person after that, and they dropped out too, and then they just kind of got scrapped. I, I don't think... I think that uh, a remake of the movie probably would have suffered. Oh, big time. Because I, I this this movie feels like an 80s movie through and through, Yeah. and I don't think that you could make the same kind of movie today as you would make... In the eighties. Well, if they, you know, if if Raven Simone had done it, they could have just called it that. So eighties. Yeah, well, the, that way. Wasn't she also? Wasn't she the little girl on the Cosby Show? Yes, she was. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, there you go. I mean, it all ties together one way or another. Yeah. Um, so the beginning of this film, I thought was was cool. Uh, they raise the energy immediately because it's music and dancing yeah. to to start it out, and it's. You know, Chris in her bedroom dancing to the song, this very typically 80s song, and just like being excited about. She's going out on a date tonight. It's their anniversary. They're yeah. going to a big French restaurant in Chicago. She and Douchebag Mike are hanging out. It's going to be so cool. Yeah. So, well, and one of the, I'll just say it off the bat, one of the cool things I thought about the use of the song is that she's dancing around and all happy when the song is playing because she's going to go out with, she thinks she's going out with her boyfriend, Mike. And that's when the, her relationship there is about to just come crash, crashing down, yeah. basically. But then the same song is played towards the end of the film when she meets the new love interest yeah. and they start connecting. Yeah, so it, I thought that was a good use of that song to kind of signal the downfall of one relationship and the upstart of the next. Yeah. And almost, it, it kind of, it, it adds a bit of symmetry to the beginning and the end of the movie. Oh, yeah. Um, but it also kind of shows, like, how people are in this cycle of, they end one relationship, and then they get into another relationship, and the same kind of feelings are, are wrapped up into that. Yeah. But then also, it makes me think of how people listen to music all the time when they're either in a new relationship or getting out of an old relationship. You know, how often do you hear people like they're all in love and they're so happy and blah, blah, blah. So they're listening to like this upbeat music and it's all fun and happy and whatever. But then when people are getting out of relationships, they're also listening to music. Granted, it's usually different type music. Yeah. It's like, this sucks, everything's terrible. I think you can go online and you can, if you just look up um, like breakup playlist, you'll find so many different lists oh. of horrible, heartbreaking songs that people will listen to to make themselves feel sad. That sounds like a depressing thing to do. Someone go out there and do that and just see what you turn up. Yeah. And then email us at uh, mostexcellentmovienight at gmail.com. Uh, we'd like to see what you came up with. Yeah, I mean, if we had a list of most horrible songs, we could 
probably put together like a little Spotify widget and drop it in. Or oh, yeah, like we could. Like um, not long after you know everything goes down with Chris, she's driving because she gets that job. Um, she's like, well, you know, I got nothing going on tonight. Might as well go and do the babysitting because she gets a call. Yeah. Well, the thing, this is one thing that I love is, is Chris is, is portrayed as a 17 year old kid mm-hmm. and throughout she definitely looks older. Yeah. Well, be, uh, yeah. Child labor laws being what they are. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Um, but throughout the entire movie, Chris just keeps on going. I'm too old to be babysitter, babysitting. <laughs> I'm too old. 17 years old. Oh my gosh, I'm so mature. This is not something that a 17-year-old should be doing. Yeah, I mean, especially when I think about when I was that age, I'm sure I never was a babysitter, but I, I can just guess from what I know my attitude was back then that I would be like, look, I need to be out and have like a legitimate job right now, which I did at the time. I was working at um, Boston Market. That <laughs> must know, have been fun. Cutting up chickens and washing dishes and Actually, it was fun. There were there were some fun. There was some fun to be had. I um I remember there was this one time when I was um, on my senior trip in high school. Instead of um instead of going to the Ocean City or something like that, we decided to do it like a day trip out to um, New York City. And I remember being on the um on the subway, and we were talking about something, and the 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 topic of parents and and you know parents rules and everything came up and so we're a whole bunch of 18 year olds and we're talking about well don't they know that we're adults we should be able to <laughs> you know make our own so i mean this is very much the kind of mindset that that people who are of that particular age kind of are in they're like they're they want their freedom and they want the ability to make these decisions and it's almost like chris's mom pressure pressures her into going to babysit uh sarah to yeah. to kind of but uh, it's a good thing because Probably her mom realizes, oh, her daughter's in a bad place emotionally right now. She needs to get out of the house. She doesn't yeah, need something to be... needs to distract yeah, her. Exactly. At that point. And that makes sense. And there's a lot of distraction to be had. Um, but one of the big things for me that that really like struck me is when she's driving to her babysitting job. I was like, whoa, a wood panel station wagon. This is so 80s. It was. Oh my gosh, I remember. My, uh, this movie came out right around the time that my parents were getting a station wagon. There, uh-huh. we, we had a we had a powder blue 1988 Crown Victoria. Oh yeah, <laughs> station wagon. So this thing was like a boat. And the first, uh, my dad brought home the first Crown Victoria, like on the test drive. My mom looked at it and she said no. And the exact reason she said no was because it had wood paneling. Ah uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. How was wood paneling a thing on cars back then? But how was it a thing? Like it looks. I mean, horrendous. I think I. Whenever I think of wood paneling on cars, I, I associate it with surfers. Okay. Um, you know, kind because of, that's kind of the same aesthetic. Yeah, yeah, it is. So, that's just me and stereotyping into the seventies and eighties. Yeah, what's up with that? I don't know. Um, but speaking of the eighties, uh, one thing that I think happened in a lot of 80s films, especially this style of 80s film, was the boy crush on oh, the, yeah. the older girl. Puppy love. Yes, and and that shows up very prominently in this with Brad. You know, Brad hears that Chris is coming and, and she's going to be babysitting, and he's like, oh my gosh. Like, you just see it in his face. He gets excited, spills macaroni all over the place. <laughs> yes. Who doesn't? 
You know, when you hear that someone you're interested in, you always spill macaroni. It, it's amazing that a pot of macaroni appears and it just flies up into the air. And it's like it's like a macaroni fireworks. Yeah. But you can see, I mean, Brad's like nervous. He's like, oh my god, he's looking around for his zit cream. He's like, where's my damn zit cream? I, got, I need to have a great looking complexion for Chris. It's And guess what? Sarah has stolen it to use as like a crayon replacement. Yeah. But this leads me to a question. I wrote it down. I wanted to ask you this question. Jordan, have you ever had a babysitter and had a crush on a babysitter when you were younger? Did you experience that? Because I feel like what comes up in this film in that way isn't too uncommon in real life. You know what? I don't really know if I did. Um, because by the time I was like 14 or 15, my, si- my siblings... Um, oh, I have five siblings and two of them are like 20 years younger than me. Uh, okay, so they would probably watch you. No, I would watch them. I was the oldest. Oh, 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 okay. So I, I like, by the time I was like 14 or 15, if my parents were going out, um, they would leave us at home by ourselves. So, I mean, last time I really remember having a babysitter was when I was like maybe 10 or 11, and I was really too young for that, you know, the whole crush thing to develop. Because oh, okay. I was... By the time, like I said, by the time I was fourteen or fifteen, um, we were pretty much we were pretty independent kids. Honestly, you you give us like um, a movie or some books, and we're not going to burn the house down. Unlike my little siblings, who one time I was babysitting them, they locked me out of the house. <laughs> so there's more stories to be had with those two. I had the opposite happen when I was young. I was living in I think it was when I was living in Ohio. I was real young. And it was just my older sister and I at that point. And we were being uh, babysat by someone. Her name was Tina, I remember. And she locked us out of the house at night in the backyard. <laughs> and I'm talking, I was probably like no older than five years old I wonder or what you had done to... Well, she, lo- she locked us out because her boyfriend came over. Oh. Uh... Yeah. And then my parents came home and they obviously were not very happy about what transpired. So... Yeah, that was my... But I, I have experienced, at least one time I can remember, the babysitter having a crush on the babysitter ordeal. So I when I was watching this, I felt like I could relate. Like, I feel like it's not an uncommon thing to happen. Right, no. And I, I felt like Brad was... Brad was a pretty stand-up kid. You know, yeah, and he was he was pretty relatable and everything like that. I liked Brad a lot, personally. Um, I liked Sarah a lot, too. I thought Sarah stole the movie in a lot well, of places. For you, it was probably because she was all into Thor. Yeah, I thought. Comic well, I thought thing. that was. I thought that was pretty funny that that you know this little girl yeah. is all into Thor, and that's a good point that that's bucking a stereotype yeah. for that time exactly. Which is, I mean, back then it was probably very prominent that that the stereotype was, you know, girls really are not into comic books at all, and, and guys definitely are nerdy guys at right. that. Only nerdy guys, right? Much. Right. Right. So yeah, to have this kid, this female kid that's that's into Thor was a pretty big and not big just deal, into I Thor, think. but wears a helmet and carries a hammer around yeah. all the time. But then on the other side, not bucking the stereotype is Brad making fun of Thor, calling Thor a homo. Yeah, which was that was more accepted in films then. Yeah, and I know. And, and, I'm glad we've moved away from well, that, that being accepted. That's something that always interests interests me. It's because right now, um in my free time, such as it is, I'm reading a, a, a fantasy trilogy that was written in the 80s. And the reason I'm reading this is because a, a blog that I follow is doing like a chapter-by-chapter chapter re- reread. And 
so they're reviewing it from the perspective of 80s reviewer and then modern day reviewer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they can't seem to get past this idea that the book should be, should feel like modern story. Right. You know, and I'm like, well, I mean, yes, you're having problem with the romantic interests because you're looking at it from a 21st century, 2014 viewpoint on what relationships should be and what a woman's role should be. Right. And I'm not saying that the 80s are right. You know, I'm not saying you're just that saying it was a different. Context. It's a different time. It's a different context. It's almost like if you're looking back at what's happening in the 80s, even in your own life, you're a completely different person than you are now. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you should be able. I mean, some things are not acceptable whenever they are, but I mean, the way that that gender is is identified in there should be at least a little more fluid because you're looking at it. You you're not looking at it from a perspective that is unbiased. You're looking at it from your perspective. You're not looking at it from the perspective of the culture of the time. So, I mean, there, there's that interesting juxtaposition there that I, I find to be very interesting when viewing media from or reading media from a different time frame. Yeah, and that's really what, what this whole situation made me think about. You know, when it was like, oh, Thor's a homo, I was like, you know, it, it obviously, like, hit me like, ugh, you know, yeah, like, I cringed when it, it happened. It kind of grates your teeth. Yeah, but then I was like, you know, if I was watching it back in the 80s, I pro- it wouldn't have even struck me as off, because that was pretty accepted in right. film. Right, well, even, even then, in the 80s, we were both kids. Yeah, so you So we wouldn't even known what a homo is. Yeah, that's true. It's very true. You know, and the fact that they're using it... Probably just as a slur, probably means that they've heard it somewhere else. Yes. And because they're so young, I don't think they would have realized what it actually meant. Probably accurate. Yeah. So, but, um, but I, I, the, the opening of the movie is great, you know, because it, like you said, the music is fast paced. You get these interesting characters who you can relate to, and then also characters who buck this, buck the stereotype. Right off the bat, so every, it moves along pretty well, um, and then and then you meet Daryl, and <laughs> and he's uh he's the Mentos and the diet soda, yeah. pretty much, and you can tell that that's going to be the situation because he's the odd man out, so he's got to add the crazy aspect or the crazier aspect, but I will say, the beginning of this film really sets it up so that you're kind of like okay, I'm interested. Um, How's this going to get crazy? Yeah. You know, like, you're you're just kind of... Like, I was a little bit on the edge of my seat. Like, how's this going to get nuts now? Because, I mean... It's, because Adventures and Babysitting, like, knowing the title... Adventures... You know something's yeah. going to get Adventures crazy. is in the name. Something's going to have to happen. So, that's actually a, a good point to, to point out, that titles are important. You know, because they can set a mood for what the person is supposed to expect going into the film. Right. Something like the movie Deadfall that we did... We were trying to What's, figure out what the... What, high School Musical tells you exactly what the movie right. is about. Deadfall did not tell you jack crap about what the film is. Adventures in Babysitting tells you exactly, exactly what, what you should expect. And the Princess Bride is another example of a movie yes. where the title tells you pretty much exactly what you should be going into. Um, so uh, Titles are important. Very important. And very important because if you don't know what the title of the movie is, it, 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 it's like, honestly... It, 
it's like that saying, don't judge a book by its cover. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you judge a movie by it by its title. Yes. The Goonies. Something fun, weird and, and yeah, interesting. Is, interesting is going to be happening in this movie. Uh, another another 80 movie, 80s movie that we were talking about was uh, Little China. Uh, Big Adventures. Big, in, Big Trouble in Little China. Big Trouble China. in Little China. Because yeah, it's, it's telling you that it, there, this movie is happening in Little China. There's trouble that's going on. Nope. What more do you need to know? Then you have film like Beyond the Black Rainbow. It's this faux existential uh, title that you know this film's going to suck. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and it, it did. Well, we reviewed that one too. Go back and listen to that. Yeah. Well, and you know, the thing is that this um, Adventures in Babysitting, again, this is the difference in the 80s and now. I think yeah. I think advent- using a title like Adventures in Babysitting today, you would look at it and you would go, oh, kids movie. Yes. You know, it would be something that you would blow off without even thinking about. If I saw... I saw this, honestly, I saw the title Adventures in Babysitting, I'm like, what are we getting into? Because this sounds like it's going to be nothing but kids' hijinks from, yes. like, like a Disney Channel movie. And yes, this is a Disney movie released by Touchstone, but it's it's rated PG-13, for goodness sake. It, it It's a much more mature movie than the title would lead you to think right. in today's modern age. There are kids in peril. In this film, bad there's, guys. There's a gang fight. <clears throat> gang Kid, fight. Kids dangling off of windows and in forty-story yeah, buildings. And it's like there's a lot of craziness that happens in this movie. Going back, we were talking about the whole stereotyping thing and, yes. and stuff like that. Um, one of the things is when when we get to the point where Chris's friend, what's her name? Brenda. <clears throat> Brenda. That's right. Brenda, she runs away from home and she calls Chris all hysterical. She's at the bus station in Chicago, <clears throat> and she's. It, the the thing to me about that is, it, it struck me as as terrible that they were using homeless people as comedy, crazy and scary, and comedy, yes, as well. And because one of the things is, you know, she's she's making a phone call from the phone booth, and this homeless guy's like wanting her to get out, and he's like, "You're in my bed. You're, you're in my house. You're in my house." Yeah, and it's just like, oh, you know, it was more accepted back then, and I believe. Thinking about it more, like, homeless people were used a lot more for, like, comedy relief back then. Especially in, like, a lighthearted type film. And I was just kind of like, well, that's kind of screwed up, you know? You know, actually, it's something that still happens today. I was actually watching the latest episode of Doctor Who, which uh, was just released over the weekend that we recorded. Um, and one of the one of the interactions is the doc- the doctor has just regenerated which if you know doctor who you know what that means but he's accosting a homeless man for his clothes mm-hmm. you know and it's played off as a scene that's really funny you know and it's like so these stereotypes last even to today right and are used are used for comedy and are used for um like kind of to show you know the wacky side of society and it's like really honestly this is like one of the most depressing and sad things about our world is that there are people who, for one reason or another, cannot are are not in a support network that is helping them get past whatever their struggle is. Right. You know. So, um, it it was a little you know off putting to me that it was so insensitive in this film. Yeah. Um, 
and one of the things is I just kind of wish that there there would have been a different way that they could have shown it. You know, maybe show it the way they, they did exactly, but then once Brenda left the bus station, just kind of show that everything you were seeing was from her warped perspective, maybe? Yeah. Because you know that's how it would be with her at that young age and all these people hanging out in the bus station, and she ran away from home, she's afraid, she's alone. She really would kind of view things. Oh, and then her glasses are stolen, so yeah. she can't really see she would really view things in a, in a kind of paranoid way and view everything as crazy and scary and, you know. So it works to have that from her perspective, but show it then as that's just her perspective. Like, it's not, right. you, right. Know, cra- you know, homeless people are not nuts and scary. I mean, the, the, the things that happen in a bus station are ridiculous. And I do think that yeah. that's actually a stereotype of bus stations. You know, is that they're they're very seedy places where a lot of horrible things happen. Like there's one time she she, she like you said, her glasses get stolen, so she doesn't know what she's looking at. So she picks up a sewer rat, thinking it's a kitten. Yeah. Um. There, she tries to use a check to to purchase a hot dog, yeah. and it's like a a fairly significant amount of money, from what I understand, on that check. You well, know. And the guy says that he would rather throw the hot dog away than take her check yeah. for the money. Um, yeah, it's it, but but then but then there's the stereotype that that sub, suburban people people who live in the suburbs have this great fear of city life. Yes. So the movie was kind of playing on that. I as think that's well. accurate though. It is. I, I think by and large today, even that people in the suburbs have have a great fear of city life. I mean, how many times do you hear people who say? I'm not going to drive into Baltimore. Right. You know, and we only live like half an hour away from Baltimore. Um, and I go, I go into the city on a fairly regular basis um, for, you know, whatever. But, you know, a lot of people are afraid to go into the town um, for any reason whatsoever. Well, there, there historically has been this, this feeling of, you know, it's safer out in the suburbs. The city, the city's where the crime is. Crime happens. And the suburbs uh, yeah. are, are more open and safe because you have space. And the people who are out there are more well-to-do. Yeah. Therefore, they're not criminals. Well, and also one thing about uh, about the suburbs, I mean, it, it almost doesn't... If I can understand how we do live in the suburbs of... Um, of Baltimore, but we also have um, a lot of people who work in Philadelphia as well. So we're kind of in this middle community, but most of the county that we live in are employed by a local military base. Right. So, you know, there's kind of this weird suburban attitude to it, but then there's also different types of employment here as well. So we're in kind of a weird area as it is. The other thing I wanted to bring up about the bus station... I noticed they had TVs on each chair in yeah, the bus station. Gigantic televisions. Was that legitimate? Was that like that in I rem- the 80s? I remember things like that, like in That's airports. That's crazy to me. Like, why don't we have that now? Because everybody has a cell phone where they can access Hulu. I, I guess. I would just like to see it where, like, everyone's got their own little TV if they're at, like, a train station yeah. or... You know, at the airport, or I, I actually, I, th- that's the funny thing. I was uh, at the airport Saturday night, and I'm like, I'm bored. I'm going to watch TV. So I pulled out my phone, and I and I uh, pulled up a TV show that I was interested in watching, and just was watching it on my telephone while I was waiting for the my uh, my family to arrive. But that's got to kill the battery too. It like, did hard. It well, I mean, I, I had I had charged the ba- the phone up completely before I left. No. So it wasn't that bad. But, yeah, I mean, the thing is that 
we've reached a point where our entertainment doesn't have to be bolted to a chair. It's it's something that's ubiquitous. Yeah, it's it's mobile. Yeah. Um, okay, moving on in, in the film. When they had their problem with the car, the, the tire was flat and they don't have a replacement, so they get this trucker who stops, which they're automatically like... Oh, oh my no, god, he looks trucker. crazy. Yeah. yeah, well, there's another stereotype. Truck, truckers are scary and weird. And, of course, they have a big beard, and that makes someone scary and weird right. if they have a large beard. It, well, and the thing was that uh, Chris was telling them, telling the kids a story as they were driving along, like a kind of a, a, a yeah. spooky campsite story about, like, it was essentially describing a slasher movie. Yeah, a guy with a hook for a hand. But, and that struck me as. Do you know how many films, especially from that time period, there's like this mythological killer that has a hook for a hand? Yeah. That was popular back that, then. It was. That was it a was. big thing in film. That was one thing that I wrote down is like, what slasher movies does Chris watch? Because, yeah. you know, that that's the trope is the, that there's this hairy guy with a hook for a hand and he's going to kill the babysitter and everything like that. That's, that's something that the slasher movie genre kind of thrives on, at least from that time period. One of the great things then where... I mean, they all freak out because he, the, the, the truck driver, of course, has a hook for a hand, mm-hmm. then, which I thought was kind of a funny way to tie tie in the, the mythological story that she tells him. Right. Uh, so they're all kind of freaked out. But then they're like, oh, he's a nice guy, whatever. But they're still kind of uneasy. Yeah. And then they have a problem where, you know, he... The, the truck driver gets a call from a buddy, like a CB radio call from a buddy saying that there's someone with his wife... Yeah. at his house so he's going over and when one of my favorite parts when he's reaching to the glove compartment because he tells them that's where he keeps, he keeps his, his hand, hand. Yeah. which is a lie um, Daryl's like covering his eyes because he doesn't want to see it right? and he reaches for it and the quote is he's like he goes is it a hand and they're like no and he goes oh good and they're like it's a gun and he goes oh god <laughs> like that going from oh good to oh god it it played so well. The truck, and it was really funny. The, the truck driver was a fun character. He was yes. he was a non sequitur. His name was Handsome John Pruitt. Yeah, Handsome John. Handsome John with the hook it, for a hand. with the hook for a hand. But also, I thought it was funny because he had he was driving a, a big rig uh, truck, like a tow truck, um, and he had to modify it to to be able to drive it. Like mm-hmm. his hook was his right hand, um, so he was missing his right hand. So he had. Um, rigged up the the gear shifter so that he could like use the hook to to shift gears on the car which I thought was pretty ingenious I thought that was a nice touch it was like this big old block of wood though so it, it looked it looked funny it was a good visual gag well so they also put some thought into that aspect of yeah. the film which which is good to see when they when you go the little extra mile you know just to make these things happen I like that um, then we get to the point where you know they were they had to get in that car, yes, um, to take off. It, it was the car for the guy who was sleeping with handsome, handsome John's, John's wife. wife. Yeah, so they jump in, but hey, it's being jacked. Yeah, and I'm like, really stereotype again? It's being jacked by an African American, and I'm like, are you kidding me with this crap? Yeah, yeah. I mean that that is a very stereotypical thing. Especially because the car was, I think it was like an Oldsmobile or a Cadillac. It was a Cadillac, Yeah, so it was a very nice car, um, and and this guy was stealing it. He was hot wiring Hot wiring it. Yeah. And, but the crazy thing about it was, uh, 
the car thief was one of the nicest characters in the entire movie. That was the redeeming thing that happened. Because yeah. at first I'm like, really? He's going to be the criminal? Like, how stupid and stereotypical? But then he does really redeem himself at the end, and he's... You know, he's, he's like the criminal with the heart of gold. And he, thing. He's like almost, it's almost like an artful Dodger kind of situation. Okay. Where, um, where you know, there's this kid who, who, who is on a bad path, but he's a nice guy. And it's, right. it's kind of like Wreck-It Ralph. Where just because I'm a bad guy doesn't, doesn't mean, mean I'm, I'm a bad guy. guy. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and his character was actually a lot of fun because he's just like, I'm going to let them get away. Yeah. I'm not going to cause them problems. In fact, I'm going to try and help them. Yeah. You know? I will point out another thing that's very stereotypical 80s. Um, when they're driving in the car and they're going through all those, like, dark alleyways. Alleyways looked the same in films in the 80s. Yeah. They were very dark and dingy and grimy, had boxes all over the place and garbage, and always smoke just coming, coming up from, you know, the manhole covers and just, like... Sometimes just kind of out of nowhere, just to make it look creepy and scary and stuff. But that's something I really keyed in on, and I'm like, you really don't see that in films now. But that was a big thing back in the 80s. Like, yeah. all alleyways looked that way. Yeah. I.e., you look at something like Dick Tracy, too, you know? Yeah, like Dick, Dick Tracy. Tracy. Well, that movie, that movie was weird. Was that 90s, though? Dick I think, Tracy may have been I 90s. think it was like 89, 91, somewhere right in there. Um, you talk, and I'm going to look it up, because now I'm curious. Well, I think... Warren Beatty didn't do a very good job in Dick Tracy, that's for sure. That, that movie, it has some interesting characteristics to it, but it doesn't live through. But uh, one thing I wanted to mention was the chop shop was really fun to look at. Like, because... Um, Dick Tracy, 1990. 1990. So, so right there. So right there, yeah. Just about four years after Adventures of Babysitting, actually. Three. Three years. 1987, so, 1990. I can't do math. <laughs> um, but it, it's really great um, to, to see how the chop shop, they open up the doors and they're like, well, where are we going? Where are we going? And someone, one of the kids yells out, we're going into hell. You know, and it's like, they, there's this big doom music as they roll in. Yeah. And sparks are flying from arc welders. And it looks really cool. Yeah, it does, and it it definitely gives the, the, the sense of danger. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, no, they might be in no, trouble. No. But then it's interesting to see that the, the head guy, who really looks like a creep, you know, and this is something we talked about before recording. Villains in films, especially, like, kids and teen films right. back in the 80s, were so, like, over-the-top, kind of, like, cartoonish with how evil they were. Right. And this guy's no different. Yeah. Um. But it was interesting to see that he and his minions are around this table, and it's like they're a company. Yeah. Like, they were really functioning and looking like they're a company, and they're wearing suits. Like, they look like businessmen I mean, doing business. When you think about when you think about Chicago, honestly, one of the stereotypes of Chicago is organized crime. You know, so I kind of... I, well, obviously, it's, it's more organized crime in, the, like, the 30s and during the, you know when alcohol was illegal and everything like that. But I kind of got the same sense that they were trying to, to build on that mafia gangster yeah. type of feel right. to it because they were, like, talking about who needs a Porsche in Portland and who needs, you know, a Cadillac in Washington, D.C. They were basically splitting the cars up all o- across the United States, stripping them for parts and then sending to specific parts to different places that needed um, needed car parts and almost it, it was an interesting thing to see because they're like 
all sitting around talking about it and and like it's almost like a little like you said it was like a business meeting and they yeah. got their their coffee and their newspapers and their playboy their playboy yeah. that had notes in it I love I love how Playboy becomes the play the December issue of Playboy becomes it's a big thing in the film. It's the MacGuffin of the film. Yeah. And for a movie that's kind of aimed at a younger audience to have like PG-13. Yeah, exactly. I there mean, you know, hey, Playboy, whoop, here's the yeah. centerfold. Well, and it's funny cuz Daryl had a Playboy that he stole from his father early on and then Brad throws it out the window when they're driving because Daryl you know, pulls it out, and he doesn't want people to see it, so he chucks it. So then that's why Daryl ends up taking the Playboy they find yeah. at the uh, chop shop, which ends up getting them in a lot of trouble, because yeah. then they're after him, because they're like, there are notes in that Playboy, for whatever reason. Because everybody, when you have something important to keep, you put it in your Playboy, right? Well, I, I always write notes in my Playboy, <laughs> you know? <laughs> that's that's the best place to keep all my information. In fact, I have I my my Playboy right in front of me here. Oh yeah, Jordan has all his notes for the film written on a Playboy centerfold. It's it, well, I mean, it just who is that? Is that Elizabeth Shue centerfold? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it is great to it's it, it's so appealing to look at, and you know, you can write your notes around the contours and everything like that. It's it just just works out perfectly. So then, when they get out, um, the blues performance I want to talk about real fast. The blues performance was really good. It's, they ran into into this blues club because they get away from the guys at the chop shop. They're being followed, and then they're like, nobody gets out of here without singing, singing the, blues. the blues. And so they parlay into actually telling their story of how things have gotten crazy, yeah. and everyone's like, oh, this is a great blues song. And like they're doing the typical... And it, it was funny. It was kind of energetic. I mean, it was... It was a clever moment in yeah. the film, and I enjoyed that. Now, did you know that Chicago is actually known for its blues style? Blues is very important to sh- Chicago culture. I guess I'd heard that before, but it's not really any- anything that's yeah. I mean, in my mind, all that often. Yeah. It, so, so this was another way of them, just like, just like, um, there's like Louisiana blues and Louisiana jazz, Dixieland jazz. There's also Chicago. Chicago is a huge music theme for this kind of music. So to hear Chicago blues in this in this sense was them again once again reestablishing that this movie is supposed to be in Chicago. Just like you see some people wearing Cubs hats and you see Illinois license plates and everything right. like that. This is another way for them to to subtly cue in. This is a big part of where the movie is, is the geography and the culture right. that surrounds it. So it's a bit of a stereotype to have a the Silver Dollar Club or the Silver Dollar Room in the actual um, movie. But it, it does a good job of, of tying everything together. I agree with that. And um, also, it's, it's, it's hilarious to hear the blues song that they come up yeah, with because... Yeah. Because Chris is just kind of speaking, and then they go da 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 da. It's definitely a a bright point in the film. Yeah. Um, moving ahead, because we are actually running low on time. We've we've been really going at this. Oh really? I didn't know that. So we uh, we go to the part where the gang fight, the quote gang fight, is going to happen, and they're on this. You know, it's like a railway. Um, it's a car. It's a subway car. Subway car, yeah. And they uh, are between these two gangs, and they're about to get in trouble. And it's just kind of funny because, and my wife loves this part where um, the guy says something like "Don't fuck with, don't fuck with me" or whatever. Yeah. And then Chris is like, "Don't fuck with the babysitter." Yeah. And that's like a well-known um, 
Line quote from movie. that yeah. from that film that a lot of people remember. But when it was on TV, which Rebecca says when you know she saw it most was just on showing on TV. They obviously edit that. Yeah, and they were like mess with or screw with is what they put over top of that. But it was funny because like the guy drops his knife and it like goes into Brad's shoe, and it doesn't look like it goes deep, but. He's, like, playing it up, like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then it's funny because they get him to the hospital. Well, the, the next stop is the hospital. Yeah, and they get him to the hospital. He gets one stitch, and he's like, oh, my God. Are you kidding me? One stitch? How am I going to look like a badass this, with one stitch? This, my only chance to be in a gangland fight <laughs> yeah. and only one stitch. Meanwhile, there was someone there who had been in a gang fight who actually got killed. They yeah. actually died while they were there. So there was this funny moment of, like, the confusion where they... The rest of the uh, Chris and, and everyone asked about the him. They're the like, stab wounds. oh, in the gang fight for the stab wound gang fight, uh, and they were like, oh yeah, he passed, and that like confusion of that in, thinking he was dead was was well done. And the, the doctor who was treating uh, Brad and told them that there the, he who had the mix up was playing this really bored deadpan character who mm-hmm. was. Who was kind of desensitized to the violence of well Chicago. done, yeah. But it was a it was a really funny moment and, and uh, a good good bit of screenplay there. It was, and something something I noticed when they were when all that that whole scene was going down where they thought he died. Yeah, um, there was a nurse there, and the nurse I was just like, she looks exactly like David Bowie in the eighties. <laughs> like, go back and watch it. She looks dead like David Bowie. <laughs> it was pretty funny. To I me. hope not dead. Bowie's in space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, that I I love that. I love that portion. And then we get to the part where we see Vincent D'Onofrio showing up, which I liked Vincent D'Onofrio. He's been in some important stuff, in my opinion, as far as films I've seen and, and enjoyed, like Men in Black. Obviously, yeah. he plays Edgar, who uh, gets taken over by the giant cockroach. Right. And he was in the movie The Cell, which I thought is oh, really? a, is a very nice like aesthetic film was also done by Tarsim Singh who did one one of the films you really like The Fall yes he's awesome with aesthetics but um that's another one unfortunately Jennifer Lopez was in it but it was a good film Vincent D'Onofrio played like the main bad guy um but I like Vincent D'Onofrio anyway so it was cool to see him in this as Thor uh, yes. he, well, I mean, obviously he's not Thor. He's a guy that looks kind of like Thor. He's 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 a um, mechanic with a, a, a tall, blue-eyed, blonde-haired mechanic yes. with a with a mullet, with a lot of muscles. Yeah, and so of course Sarah, who's obsessed with Thor, thinks that this guy is amazing. Now, part of the problems that that the the group has been having is they have to scrape together fifty dollars to to pay for a tire. And Chris has left her checkbook at home because she forgot her purse. So the way that they get the money together is they go to a party um, because Sarah has to use the restroom and and uh, Daryl is all about partying with the college students. Yeah, and that's I think that's where like it gets even more ratcheted up with yeah. Daryl being really funny. Like he's just acting like he belongs. Yeah, like <laughs> he's he like got in a, college. He's got a cup of popcorn. Yeah. That he's trying to hammer back like and the guys are hang- hammering back beer. You have to respect it because he's got no shame. No. He's just like, I'm going to do what I want to do, whatever. He, no he, one's going to, you know. Well, he's a 14 year old who tried to pick up a hooker. Well, yeah. You know? Yes, yes. Pretty funny. But um, that whole scene was really great. But I really do have kind of a problem with this new guy, this knight in shining armor that shows up that's the new love interest for Chris at that party. Like, 
everything that happens between those two in the film just feels contrived. It's forced. It's very forced. And it's stuff that really would not happen. No. Like, he goes above and beyond with so many things just because he saw this girl once. Oh, hey, here's the roller skate. Yeah, it's it's over the top and it was very forced. But I think there are a lot of other things in this film that are so good that can make you kind of forgive that and just be like, okay. And it's for, it's for like, a kid demographic, so. And, yeah, well, and it's also a trope that, that you know, the girl meets the guy. The girl, get, girl gets dumped by a guy, girl meets new guy, and new guy is amazing. I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of a movie stereotype that has yeah. to be worked with. And, I mean... The film would have would have completely fallen apart if they ha- didn't have someone to give them a ride to the to the uh, place to pick up the the right. the, car, the station wagon. So he's kind of just there to move things along in a, mm-hmm. in a way. Um, one of the things I wanted to say, I thought Chris, the character of Chris, was really great because she is a strong female character. Um, she takes things into her own hands. You know, she confronts Mike in the end and and wins back her respect, basically her self respect. And, and Daryl um, gets to punch him. And Daryl, well, he kicks him in the back, him, which yeah. was really funny too. But because uh, Daryl's like, I'm not. She's like, I'm not going to hit you or whatever. And Daryl's like, I am, and he just does it. But um, she's such a strong character, and she was calm under pressure the entire film, pretty mm-hmm. much. I mean, there were times where she had many freakouts, but for the most part, calm, stoic. She was like a rock. Well, and she, it's good to see that she had so much responsibility on her, and she was she was doing a good job of taking her responsibility seriously. Cool under pressure, yeah. Like she was awesome. And then the last thing I wanted to say, because we're running low on time, uh, I really liked the dichotomy between the actual danger that was happening with uh, Chris and all the kids versus. Brenda at the bus station and her perceived danger because they keep going back and forth and it's like here are these people who are actually in danger who are dealing with it very well and then here's Brenda in contrast who's not actually in danger and she's dealing with it very terribly. Right. Well, and, and that's the thing is that Brenda's character, uh, they they pick her up and she just just collapses into the car and goes, "You would not believe the horrible night that I've had." Yeah, and that's like. You just believe that everyone in the car rolls their eyes. Yeah. You know, it's just like, oh, uh, yeah, right. Yeah. Couldn't and, even be close. Well, and, and that's something that happens a lot is that we look at our own problems as being so significant and we don't know what's happened to other right. people. You know, so well, that, that's a whole nother discussion th- that's, right that's there. That's like a f- two hour discussion <laughs> right there. Maybe we'll have another movie that kicks that one off. Yeah. We could go on for a while. Um, I think we covered pretty much everything. Man, we tried to shove a lot in yeah, here. Yeah. This. This was this was a fun movie, um, yes. and you know I feel like if we're left to our own devices, um, I, at least I pick serious artistic movies that you know. So it's fun to see a movie that's fun, enjoyable, yeah. lighthearted, you know, and it's it's a great change of pace. So thank you, Jeff Grove. Thank you so much. We really enjoyed this one. Yeah, Jordan, would you like to take the lead on sure. this? Sure. Um, Chris Columbus does a great job of directing the movie. Um, the script is really well put together. Uh, the pacing is great. Uh, it doesn't slow down too much. I felt like it was maybe 10, 15 minutes too long. There are you know, some gags that could be cut out to make the film a little bit tighter. Um, but overall, a lot of fun. Really good use of the, the perceived Chicago, Illinois landscape uh, and, and the culture around the area. Um, and also a lot of great scenes uh, with with the visuals and the, and the chop shop and uh, great that the, the car thief turned out to be 
more of an artful Dodger type of character than just a low-life thug. Um, enjoyable, fun. I'm going to go ahead and give this one three stars. All right. Uh, I agree with a lot of what you said. Um, obviously, some of the stereotypes really bothered me, as I you know talked about. But there were some other stereotypes that were bucked, you know, like Chris being a very strong female character. And like you were saying, the, the car thief turning out to be a person with a heart of gold. You know, Sarah, Sarah is a very strong female character as well. Yes, exactly. And bucking the stereotype of only boys and, and nerdy men like comic books. And so, also gremlins. She had a gremlins, gremlins right. backpack. And the tie in there, because Chris Columbus wrote the first two gremlins films. Right. Ha ha, makes sense. Uh, yeah, so those things, you know, it was the, the issue with the stereotypes versus other stereotypes that were bucked, so it kind of evens out in my opinion. Um, yes, cinematography was well done. Um, directing, I thought, was really good. The acting was all really good. Uh, the character of Daryl is great. Um, I think the writing was pretty tight. Uh, although, like you said, I think there were a few things that could have been shaved down a little bit. Uh, but for the most part, no big issues with the runtime, in my opinion. Uh, it's a fun film. It's a witty film. It's clever. This is kind of... When you're looking at like this demographic... It is a film that kind of has a little bit for a lot of people. You know, it's not just for kids, so yeah. I applaud that as well. So I like that aspect of it quite a bit. I mean, obviously, Chris Columbus has a pretty good resume, so going into this, I was expecting that it would be solid. Um, also, because my wife, Rebecca, talked so highly of it, and she loved it. I can see why this is a big film uh, in her mind. But it's not she, a five-star film, is it? It's not a five-star film, in my opinion, and I think she would argue with that. Rebecca would probably give it five stars, but... I'm going to go ahead and give it three. Um, I think it was a good film. It's not the most amazing, but it's better than half for me. So three stars, and that's an overall three stars for the podcast. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, I would recommend it to everyone. Definitely worth one watch, at least one watch. Yeah, and if if you have, like, teenagers who you want... You can feel comfortable watching yeah. it with them. It, well, and also, I think it's a movie that... It's a great movie night. It's a great movie night film for, like, all ages. So you can throw it on... And probably it'll become something that if, if you're like I was when I was a teenager, watched it over and over and over again and, and just really kind of memorize the lines and enjoy it. Yeah. All right. So three stars overall. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Carlin and Jordan's Most Excellent Movie Night. Go ahead and send us emails and recommendations. Uh, you know, say whatever you want in the email. You're right. You're wrong. This is what I thought of films. Um, give us recommendations. And... Also, I have to remind you real quick that if you give us an iTunes uh, rating and review and then let us know you did that and give us a film recommendation, we will jump you to the top and do that next. Yeah. So good way to get your stuff done fast because we have a lot in our queue to get through. We've got um, over, uh, I think, over 150 movies listed. We have a lot. Yeah. So if you want yours done soon, give us the ratings and review on iTunes. So. All right. Well, thank you so much. You've been listening to Carlin and Jordan's Most Excellent Movie Night. Our theme music was provided by Sweet Wave Audio. To find more royalty-free music for your own projects, check out sweetwaveaudio.co.uk. And special thanks to Ariana Ramos for her graphic design savvy helping us with our album art. Visit our website at mostexcellentmovienight.com to listen to other episodes, give us your opinion, and share with us other movies you'd like to have reviewed. You can also contact us through our email address, mostexcellentmovienight.com at gmail.com. We would love to read them on the air. Also, if you could rate and review the podcast on iTunes, we would be your friends for life. For sure. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to Carlin and Jordan's Most Excellent Movie Night, where movies are most excellent. 
This has been a Nerd Circle Podcast production. 